Welcome to Get Unstuck. Move forward with your life with Jason Hopkins. Over the next hour, you will be given valuable tips and tools you can use to overcome what keeps you stuck. Now, here is Jason. Welcome to Get Unstuck, Move Forward With Your Life. I am your host, Jason Hopkins. Thank you for joining us today. Get Unstuck Radio is inspired by my own journey of navigating this thing called life. More than a decade ago, I faced my own dark night of the soul, a painful chapter that robbed me of my mind, my money, and my way. After a series of catastrophic setbacks upended a lifetime of work, I was left with two choices, to end it all or to begin again. Fortunately, with a mustard seed of faith, I chose to walk forward with a new commitment to serve others. Over the last decade, I have faithfully worked to evolve the narrative of how the world sees mental health. By recognizing that everyone struggles, sometimes we all need new insight and a different perspective to see life more clearly. Not only is this show the birthplace of my own efforts to overcome life's challenges, but a safe space to meet other champions who, even after setbacks, still bravely show up to serve others. Get Unstuck Radio highlights the phenomenal people who have joined me along the way. It is a place to share their stories, which hopefully will spark spark inspiration in your own life. Together, we celebrate our individual capacity to move forward and to get the life we truly desire. Each week, a distinguished guest will share their own unique perspective about what it takes to move beyond stuck and achieve their truest potential. Regardless of where you are, I am hopeful you will discover the inspiration and courage to make an impact in your own life. Let's get started. Today, Dan Newby is joining us. Dan is a champion for emotional literacy and works with leaders, educators, and coaches worldwide. His passion is helping emotional literacy become common sense and emotions a tool for daily use. He has authored four books on emotional literacy and its applications to coaching. He regularly leads his course, Emotions-Centered Coaching, for coaches and people who support people including leaders, therapists, educators, faith leaders, and parents. He has worked with leaders in the U.S., Germany, Italy, El Salvador, Mexico, Slovakia, U.K., Singapore, and Canada. He often combines individual and group work and is the originator of emotion-centered coaching. His training and mentoring of coaches occur primarily through his online training programs, virtual and live masterclasses. Dan, thank you for joining me today for another episode of Get Unstuck Radio. Thank you. Yeah, I'm so excited to be here. Well, I'm, I'm glad to have you. Um, I'm excited to you know learn more about a topic that is so often overlooked: emotions. Um, tell us just kind of some backstory about how did you get involved in doing this work? <laughs> well, I'm guessing there's a story uh, there. I would say not not dissimilar to your own story. Uh, I went through some very difficult years. Um, in my late 30s, my 40s, so, so roughly 25, 30 years ago. Okay. And um, I, th- I thought that, well, perhaps I had missed something, that I had missed an idea or I'd missed some rule about life and how to live it. Um, or I thought, well, maybe life is just as hard. But in the end, what I discovered was that what I was really missing was any sort of understanding of my emotions and how those move me. Uh, the impulses they gave me, the information they were trying to give me. So I came to this work because uh, I was looking for a solution for me personally. 
And then I found that it beautifully dovetailed with work I was doing in coaching and leadership development. So I love that. And I do find most often we we find our true passion and purpose in some painful experience. <laughs> and, and it and it sounds like that that was the the case in your life. Um help anybody who's listening, you use this word emotional literacy. Tell us mm-hmm. really what that is. Help us unpack that a little bit. Sure. Yeah, you bet. Well, most of our lives we're we're tested, we're evaluated, and we we focus our learning on our intellect. So right. we measure our IQ and then we go to school and we learn to read, we learn to write. We we use literacy of language as a tool to help us access our intellect and also to strengthen it. Okay. And emotional literacy plays the same role, but with EQ or emotional intelligence. And this is a this is a belief among you know many people who write about emotional intelligence. It's not just my idea, but the 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 fundamental idea is that well, if we learn the basics of emotions in the same way we've learned the basics of of linguistics in in liter- in uh, literacy, well, then they'll become available to us and we can use them as a tool. So for me, what we're doing, it's a very practical approach to how do we begin to understand our emotions, how do we how do we leverage them? How do we listen to them? How do we use their wisdom to improve our lives? But it's not, um, it's a practice. It's not just an intellectual exercise. It's not just knowing about emotions, but it's really um, rolling up your sleeves and learning about your emotions, experiencing your emotions, and in a way, just playing with your emotions. The fact that there is a tool and that, you know, if you were to pay attention to them and you had some respect for them, that they could do a lot for you. They right now they don't simply because you don't pay attention to them. And isn't it interesting that we we get taught so many things in school and learn about you know various subjects, but the thing that really becomes a guiding principle in our life, emotions, is something that is usually left out of most of conversations. <laughs> yeah. Well, one of the one of my favorite exp- expressions is we. We leave our, our emotional learning to chance. You know, we hope people will learn emotionally. We hope our kids will. And we tell them to go to their rooms and come back when you're in a better mood. But, you know, we don't really have a way, most of us, of, of meth, um, a methodology or a practical way of helping people learn emotions. And that's my work. That's what I believe we can do. And as it turns out, you know, one of the things I've discovered is that emotions are quite logical. You know, there's a, there's a pattern to them. It's always the same. It doesn't change. I think life is unpredictable, but emotions are actually much more predictable than we give them credit for. But one of the things that I've discovered working with people in every part of the world, from every background, is that there's a lot of um, what I would call myths or misapprehensions about emotions. We've learned to believe certain things about emotions that aren't necessarily true. They don't really stand up to to study or to when we really look at them i mean the whole question of can we control our emotions well you know i i can't and i work in this area i don't know anybody who can nobody's ever been able to show me well here it is step one two three if you want to control your emotions and so i be i begin to think well maybe that's the wrong way to think about emotions emotions. Maybe it's not about us controlling them. Maybe it's about us being in a dance with them. Maybe it's about us befriending them. Maybe it's about us 
seeing them as a tool to help us navigate life rather than something we need to dominate and control. So there's a lot of those. I think of them as myths about emotions that get in the way, I think, of us just simply paying attention to our emotions, being with our emotions, and learning about our emotions. I love that. So really, you know, what you're telling us is, you know, getting more plugged into your emotions can really help you move through the flow of life with greater ease and effort or less effort. Well, I I think so without question, based on my own experience, but based on hundreds of people that I've you know worked with, that I've coached, that I've trained. Because, you know, if you think about it, we, we go to school and in our traditional education, 95% of what we study is all um, intellectually based. We learn math, we learn science and literature, and those are, you know, phenomenal. I wouldn't take anything away from those. But what it means is our, our attention is so focused there that we really haven't put any attention on emotions in any in any organized way, right? We part of the reason, and I, I think this is so interesting. Part of the reason, part of the argument for sending kids to school, right, is well, they learn to socialize. Well, what's socializing about? Well, it's about emotions. Right? It's about we hope our kids will learn that, but we don't really have a very good process for teaching them. It's changing right now. I see us in a big time of change with this, both with you know, with leaders, with educators, with parents, everybody I speak to now is saying, oh, well, you know, I, I did an EQ assessment and I get a sense of where I have strengths and weaknesses, but what do I do? Now, what do I do? And my answer is, well, you become emotionally literate because you know there's something there. You know there's things you could learn and you could strengthen. And okay, now it's time to, I think, get into the trenches and really work with your emotions. Because if you do that, then they will become tools that you can use. You will see them completely differently. You'll begin to see them as sources of information. You'll quit seeing them as positive and negative. You'll get much better at not judging them, but just simply observing them and noticing, oh, look, I'm feeling resentment. Wow, what's that about. I wonder why I feel resentment and what provoked it. And, you know, what do I want to do with it now? I notice I have it. Do I want to stay in resentment or do I want to shift to some other emotion that I think would serve me better? So it sounds like it's an opportunity to really discern in any given moment, what am I feeling or what is this emotion? And then actively being in choice around, does that serve you well, or should you choose differently? Absolutely. And I would say, you know, one of the things we've confused, I think, is that many times if an emotion is uncomfortable, we tend to label it as negative. Um, so if I feel anxiety, I label it as negative. Or if I feel jealousy, I label it as negative. And often what we, our reaction is we want to get rid of that emotion because it's, it's uncomfortable. In my view, the discomfort is that emotion trying to get our attention to say, hey, Dan, right, <laughs> here I am, notice me you know, notice what's happening to you. It's not necessarily um, for us to want to get rid of it. And, but because that's our reaction, oftentimes what we do is we try to avoid the emotions that are uncomfortable, and we try to get more of the emotions that are more comfortable. And what that tends to do is it does take away the choice, as you're, as you're calling it, because we're no longer in a neutral position to say, you know what, I feel jealousy. What's 
that telling me and what do I want to do with what that's telling me? And so absolutely, it gives me a choice. I can stay there. I can stay in that emotion to see what what emerges from it or what it's trying to tell me or to let it do its work, you might say. Or I can say, you know what, in this moment, that doesn't really serve me. And so I'm going to shift to a different emotion because I believe this other emotion will serve me better. And so we're always in this choice. And I would say that, you know, it's, it's, I don't see situations where, you know, we're uncomfortable in emotion. And just because of that, we should try to get rid of it. No, it's like, okay, get used to the discomfort because some emotions are uncomfortable. But you know what? They're there for a reason. They're not just there by accident. They're there to help us in some way. Well, I I agree with you wholeheartedly. And I think so often when we get in those places of negative emotion, you know, we do have an inclination as humans to want to shift out of that. You know, I, I, I think you could go on to say that that is a birthplace of addiction and a lot of negative things that we don't necessarily want in our lives. But the reality is, it feels like we've been conditioned to not feel, you know, as a human experience. And really, um, I think there's some catastrophic things that play out for that, um, you know, that you see play out in the world, you see play out in people's lives. You know, when you talk about emotional literacy and learning it as an active practice, it sounds hard. Like, walk me through, <laughs> walk me through you know, what, what are some of the benefits of, uh, beside being able to make a choice of somebody actively doing this work and choosing to become more emotionally literate? Like, how have you seen that show up in the people that you've worked with in a positive way once they've gone through the journey of, of making this a practice? Yeah. Well, um, what it allows people to do, and, you know, this is very consistent with the name of your show, is to allow people to get unstuck or to not be stuck is often what happens is, is people, um, in my experience will, they will notice, Oh, I'm feeling something. They may even be able to name the emotion. And this depends a little bit on their, you know, their own learning, their, their own vocabulary emotionally, but they call it something, but let's just say they feel anger they feel jealousy, something like that. What they typically don't do, or it doesn't occur to them to do, is to listen to it, is to say, wow, well, what's that telling me? And then to think about, um, now, how do I want to respond on because this emotion has shown up? So people tend to get stuck, I would say, in emotions because they don't see that there's another possibility. So, for instance, um, is that, you know, I have people who sometimes... I work with who, you know, as we go into the conversation, we begin talking about their emotions. It turns out, let's say that, you know, they're feeling um, a certain amount of disappointment or something. Well, they tend to stay in the disappointment because, well, that's what they're used to doing, right? They're not used to moving beyond. But if they understand that what disappointment is, is simply the you having an expectation or a hope that's not fulfilled or that you suddenly realize is not going to be fulfilled, what it tells you about is, well, what are you, what are your expectations? What are you making up about how the world will be? Or what are you making up about how somebody else will behave? Because unless there's a promise on the other person's part, that's all it is, is you've invented a story about how they're going to behave. Right. And 
And so disappointment, what it can allow you to do is when you understand that that's what it is, then you can get clear that, oh, I'm making up that story about that person. It's not really that person that I'm thinking about. It's my story, it's story about that made. person. <laughs> and so actually what it can allow you to do is have a different conversation with that person, which would be, you know what, I want to know what to expect given, you know, our relationship. So tell me, you know, tell me what you see. Tell me what you promise. Right. Tell me what you plan or expect. And so we can have a very different conversation. And one of the things that that takes away often is blame. We often quit judging people or quit blaming people as quickly because we understand that, oh, the disappointment is mine. It's not theirs. They didn't cause it in me. They did something and it didn't match my expectations. So I feel disappointment. So what it takes away is many of those things that get in the way of relationships, whether it's blaming people or judging people or just not seeing people for who they are. So I think that's one of the biggest things that allows us to have what I would call really clean, clean relationships with people to get clear on, okay, what do you promise? And, you know, what are you going to do? And now here's what I'm going to do. And even if I notice um, that I begin to feel some disappointment, I can ask myself, well, what's that based on? Is it based on somebody not fulfilling a promise? Or is it just my expectation? And 95% of the time, in my experience, it's just my expectations. It's just my story about how they're going to be, how they're going to behave, or what they're going to do. Well, and I and I love that because really, if I if I look at that simply, it's about taking personal responsibility in the interactions that you're having in your lives. And it sounds like through that discernment, there is an ability to be re responsive versus reactive, which I think so many of our expectation conversations come from a reactive <laughs> place of this is going to happen or this person has done that for me. And, and really, you know, like anything in life, when we own our own role, I think it's so much easier to, to, to make a smooth path. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back just in a couple of minutes. And I want to get into next um, a topic that Dan is working on that really inspires me um, that I think you guys will resonate with called imposter syndrome. So we'll be back in just a couple of minutes. Follow Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. Stuck in a state of being that holds us back from creating the life we truly desire. Regardless of your own blocks or limitations, imagine an easier way to get unstuck and move forward with your life. On this show, Jason Hopkins shares his practical next right step approach that will move you toward the life you really want. You too can be steps from getting the abundance, love, support, and fulfillment your heart desires. Get unstuck. Move forward with your life with Jason Hopkins. Tuesdays at 9 a.m. on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. 
It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. Welcome back to the show. If you have a question for Jason or his guests, join us on the show at 888-346-9141. That's 888-346-9141. Now back to the show with Jason. Welcome back to Get Unstuck Radio. I'm your host, Jason Hopkins, and today I have my guest, Dan Newby. And we're talking about emotional literacy, um, which is a, a fascinating topic to me because many of us are, most of us are ruled by the emotions that we have <laughs> moving through our lives. And before the break, Dan and I were talking about really unpacking what emotional literacy is and really the power that we have to uh, get get real with our emotions and how that doing so can help us better navigate the ups and downs of life. Um, before the break, I had shared with you that we were going to come back and talk about imposter syndrome, um, which is something I know a lot of us suffer from. Um, Dan has a course called Moving Beyond Imposter Syndrome. I would love to know what the spark of inf- inspiration was. First, what in- imposter syndrome is in your expert language, <laughs> and then what the spark of inspiration was for that course. Yeah, well, they 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 came together. Um, what happened was I usually teach courses that are um, kind of general information. You know, here's here's emotions, here's how you can work with them, but they're not topic driven. And um, I had a somebody who took a course with me, who I talked to, and she told me she was very hesitant to you know put things on social media on LinkedIn or to publish things or to offer classes. And she said, actually, a lot of her friends as well. And she was, you know, around 30 in her early 30s. And she said, I think their fear is um, nothing they have to say is worthwhile. And you should teach a course on this because they have what I think of as imposter syndrome. Okay. And I never had used that term before. But as I started studying it and I started um, looking into it, I I realized that um, it's a kind of catch-all. You know, we, we, there's a, there's a, a long list of behaviors that people experience that they they have ways they do things um, that tend to show up when we talk about imposter syndrome. And um, the first thing I learned, which I was really surprised about in a way, was that it's it's not an illness. It's not it's not listed anywhere. Right. It's not in any reference, any medical dictionary. What it is, is it's it's not like depression. It's not, you know, like bipolar disorder. No, it's really just a catch-all name that kind of sounds like it might be one of those. But it's really not. What it is, is it's a way that we've developed of seeing ourselves as not being enough or not being enough as a human being not being sufficient, not being um, as important as other people. And the list of behaviors that tend to fall under this when I work with people, I I always ask them to describe their experience with this thing we're calling imposter syndrome. And it's things like, um, you know, saying yes when they would prefer to say no. They feel like they're obligated to do things. They don't have a choice. Another thing is they tend to put other people first at their own expense. So not putting someone else first out of service or out of love, but really, uh, in a way, out of sacrifice, out of denying themselves. And because they think the other person is more important than they are. 
So they tend to apologize often for things that don't really merit an apology. They tend to compare themselves with other people very often, um, particularly around things like intellect, beauty, success, et cetera, social skills. And they always come up short. You know, everybody's smarter than I am. Everybody's more successful than I am. And they have a story that they keep repeating to themselves, which is they're not worthy. They're not valuable. They're not important. Um, they don't matter. And but it can come with a lot of different articulations. So there's not just one way that people articulate this. But what I've seen working with it is that um, you know we we tend to have developed this view of ourselves, this belief about ourselves. For, there may be a number of sources, and one source can be in our family, for instance. You know, I had two brothers and two sisters, and inevitably, my parents, you know, there were comparisons. And even if there weren't, I was always comparing myself to my sisters who were much smarter than I was. To, you know, so I was always doing that as well. But I had her, I had my sister's teachers, and they said, oh, well, your sisters are so smart, right? Well, what did that tell me? My story was, oh, no, you know, You're not I better as be as are. smart as they are. And I'm not, so, you know, I'm in big trouble here. But it can be, you know, on the football field, the baseball field, it can be, you know, it happens everywhere. But it can also be because of who we're made to be. You know, for instance, if you're, you know, if you're a certain color, if you're from a certain culture, if you're female versus male, you know, is that, well, you're made a certain way. And, you know, just the fact that women are not paid equally to men. Well, the message that you can take from that, you know, you can either say, well, that's a societal issue, or you can say, oh, well, maybe I'm not as important as a man. And so even if you don't or, want or to valuable. that, sometimes, you know, you hear it so often. You hear it so often that you begin to believe it. So you begin to build this story that you're not as valuable on the level of human being as every other human being. And you tend to then build this sense of devaluing yourself. So it's interesting because for me, that's really what I run into most of the time with people. It's a way they've learned to think about themselves, it comes from many sources, and then they continue what they learned when they were young by comparing themselves, by, you know, seeing themselves as less than. And it doesn't happen to everybody from the same circumstances, right? right? People from the same circumstance can grow up with this, or they can grow up with a sense that they are as valuable as every other human being. I'm wondering if we put different language to this. I mean, imposter syndrome is is such a great way to talk about it. But as I'm listening to you here, is it also, you know, perhaps underdeveloped esteem or a lack of confidence? Yes, those as well. Okay. Um, the the other thing is, I, I always say it's very connected with what I call self-doubt. But self-doubt, not that I can't do it, but that I'm not worthwhile, that I don't have value. And when I work with people, we always make a distinction between doubt as an emotion and self Self-doubt. And doubt means, well, I doubt if I can pick up that suitcase because it's probably heavier than I am strong, right? I right. just, I don't think I have the capacity to do something. But it's about actions. It's about doing things. I doubt that I can get there on time, right? Well, okay, that's not about my quality as a human being. That's about 
about, am I able to execute something? So that's a doubt for me. I don't know because I haven't done it. But self-doubt is when I question my value as a human being. I believe that maybe I'm not as important as everybody else. And so right. what do I do? I defer to them. I take care of them. I let them go first. I apologize. All these all these behaviors that I was described. So I think it's very connected with self-doubt. I think that you know, low esteem would be another way to say it. I think, again, there's a lot of ways we can describe this, but the fundamental belief that I run into over and over is a person believing they don't have as much value as every other human being at the level of humanity. Well, and I'm guessing at a certain point in most anybody's life, somebody has this has had this feeling or can identify with feelings that might resemble imposter syndrome. What I'm assuming I know the answer to this, but I'd love your your take on it. <laughs> your 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 training on emotional literacy, I'm thinking, is um, a a major component in helping heal or remedy imposter syndrome. If somebody's listening and they they have had a similar experience with this. How do you move beyond imposter syndrome? Yeah. Well, let me go back to your first point, which is, you know, I've read statistics that 80% of people have had this at some point in their lives. I think part of the difference is whether it's a passing belief, you know, we, okay, you know, we go through times when, you know, we may question our value, but when it becomes your mood, when it becomes a way you see yourself day in and day out, I think that's when it gets to be problematic. So it's very widespread. um, But For me, the solution is to think about, um, well, what's the emotion that allows you to see yourself as worthy, as valuable as anybody else, to take a stand for yourself, right? to defend yourself, to defend your boundaries, to say what you believe? Well, the emotion for me that fits the bill is dignity, because dignity comes from a Latin root, which means worth. It means you believe without any question in your worth. So you're not more valuable than other people. You're not less valuable than other people. You are worthy at the level of everyone else in this world. So what we do is we often, you know, in in the work I do with people is to explore dignity and what does it look like? What are our thoughts when we're in dignity or our beliefs? Like, I'm enough. I have value. I'm a great offer. Right. I, I decide for me, these are all things that we tell ourselves in dignity. And also there's a somatic component. There's a body component to this because our body is the container for our emotions. And you can think about somebody in resignation and you can see them all limp and collapsed and looking at the ground. And you know what resignation looks like in the body. You know what joy looks like in the body, right? Well, we just need to develop the body of dignity to support the emotion. So that's the direction I go with people is to, well, let's work with dignity. Let's strengthen dignity and see how that has an impact on this sense of not being worthy. I love that word as as a as a counterbalance to unworthy dignity. I think that's that's a really powerful word. And frankly, I can't I can't think of a time where I've heard it used in relation to human emotions. I think about values, um, I think about um integrity, um, but dignity has has a different resonance to it. I really I like that. Um <laughs> It feels choice-based, like I have a choice in this mm-hmm. moment to choose how I'm going to show up. 
Yeah, and what I'm going to accept for myself or not. Yep, absolutely. And the other piece is, you know, some people think, well, if dignity allows me to take a stand and say what I believe, well, then, you know, that's going to get tiring for some people. (laughs) Some people aren't going to like that, which is true. But in dignity, what's interesting is what I care about is taking care of me. Yeah, I'm not opposed to anyone else. I'm just taking care of me. And people sometimes confuse that with selfishness or arrogance or some other emotion. But I would say, if you think about it, in in, in life, who can take care of you besides you? There's really right. nobody who can take care of you in the way you can take care of you. So this right. ability to take a stand for yourself means you know what you believe, but it also means you may choose to not say it because that's also dignity. You know, for instance, if I were to, you know, I think something, I don't know about you, but I don't necessarily have to say that out loud. Right. I can say, oh, okay, this this is my belief or this is my judgment. This is my whatever. But um, it doesn't mean I'm being insincere if I don't say it. I'm making a choice. And my choice is to say, you know what, at this moment, that doesn't serve. And so for me, that's dignity. It's me standing in dignity. It's also me treating you with dignity. And one of the most fascinating things about dignity, I think, is that when we stand in dignity, when we're connected with dignity, by default, we cannot not extend dignity to other people. Right. It's part of dignity, right, that we treat other people, that we honor their dignity and their right to choose. And seeing it in this way and working with it, you know, then it makes so much sense to me, well, why were people like Martin Luther King and Mandela and, you know, why are people like that? So um, Mother Teresa, St. Teresa, you know, why are people like that always talking about dignity? And I think, well, this is why, because it's about you taking care of yourself, you being the best human being you know how to be, but also extending that right to other people and defending that right for other people. Right. Like, wow, that's really powerful. That's There's no other emotion that does that that I'm aware of. I love that. And 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 if as I'm listening to you what I'm what I'm hearing in in my head is it really becomes a practice of self-care. You know, yeah. take, taking taking care of oneself and 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 I don't know that there's a time that most of us are taught the value and importance <laughs> of caring for oneself in in a really wholehearted way. You know, I think affirmations are a thing that that are pushed upon us. Like if you practice your affirmations, you're going to manifest. And, you know, manifestation to me is another buzzword like anything else. Like I do think we have the ability to maneuver and 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 create things in our lives. And it sounds like a lot of what you're talking about here with emotional literacy is really born of being kind to yourself first. <laughs> well, that's a big component. You know, most people I work with are not particularly kind to themselves. They're, they're often much kinder to other people and almost always kinder to their dog than they are. Isn't to, that to fascinating, themselves. though? And, you know, but it's something. Yeah. Well, again, I think there's a lot of confusion because for some people, they've either been taught or they've learned. They've made sense of, oh, well, if I'm being nice to myself, then that's either, you know, laziness or that's selfishness. Right. 
I think, well, not necessarily, right? I mean, taking care of myself can be an act of care, self-compassion. So I think that we have to go a little bit deeper than we've gone on with emotions. And the other thing is we have been taught certain things. You know, if you think about, you know, you've been taught, um, if you're in a circle of friends who are, I don't know, they're doing drugs and you say, just say no to drugs. Right. Well, that's taking a stand for yourself. But what we haven't done is we haven't connected that in the way you're speaking wholeheartedly with dignity. You know, but what would it be if you truly embodied dignity? It wouldn't just be about, you know, saying no to drugs. It would be about knowing what you want, you know, making choices for yourself, taking a stand for yourself, and and also being able to, you know, balance all of that with your relationships with other people. Because dignity is one emotion, but you know, there's all the other emotions, service right. and care and love and compassion that also need to get balanced off with whatever emotion that, you know, we're in. Well, so, yeah, and, it's a lovely dance. And in the example you just gave, gave, it may be the discernment to recognize that these are not your people. You know, having dignity in that moment, may be <laughs> these are not your people. I, you know, I, yeah. I don't know. Um, I do find even in my own life, I mean, I certainly have struggled with this a lot, um, you know, and, and, and I look at it from the perspective of really subscribing to the servant leader model. And it occurs to me sometimes that when your natural inclination is to show up and serve others, it is really easy unless you stay in an active process of self-care and self-support to leave yourself off the list. And, you know, it occurs to me that mm -hmm. if I am not doing a good job in my own life of taking care of my own needs, a lot of times it will feel like I am pouring from an empty cup. And and that is not the goal of this, to, mm -hmm. to pour from an empty cup, right? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, one of the stories on the street about emotions is that empathy is good. Empathy is always good. Can't have enough empathy. You know, leaders need empathy. I hear this. I hear this quite often. You know what empathy as an emotion for me is, is when I can and when I do experience the same emotion as somebody else. So in essence, I, I'm seeing the world exactly the way they're seeing it. I'm feeling what they're feeling. I feel their pain, right? So that for me would be empathy. And a lot of times, because we haven't distinguished it from other emotions, let's say compassion, which is my ability to be present with you while you have your emotional experience is that people tend to be drawn to close connections with other people. They often go into education or healthcare or their coaches or therapists or, you know, lots of different professions have to do with helping other people or being with other people. The problem is if we only have empathy as our emotion, it's exhausting because we're always outside of ourselves. We're feeling the emotion of everybody else and we're losing our emotional center so a lot of times in that case i introduce you know the question well what about compassion what's the difference between empathy and compassion and let's go to the root and let's look up where they came from and let's have a conversation about what are these two emotions that both have to do with the way i connect and the closeness with which i can connect with another human being but they serve different purposes and people well, it's interesting because many people who are coaches or teachers say, you know what, I thought I needed more empathy. And now I realize I have so much empathy that that's what's exhausting. <laughs> I me. need to dial it back. Yeah, it's, it's not that I need to distance myself, but I need a different 
relationship. I need a different emotion for me to allow me to continue to do the work I'm doing because otherwise I'm, I feel drained. I feel exhausted. So empathy has a role and it has a place and it's, you know, it's an amazing emotion, but it doesn't serve every situation in a relationship with another person. Many times it's actually not very helpful. So this is what the value of emotional literacy is. We see the palette. We see, you know, we see the possibilities and we see that we see that empathy and sympathy and compassion and pity are all related and they're all they all have to do with with how close or distant we are with another human being. And if we have all four of those available, we can choose the one that's going to serve the moment. And the moment may change. And when the moment changes, we can shift the emotion. But it makes us more agile emotionally, and it helps us deliver or give to other people what it is they need. You know, sometimes my wife needs empathy. Sometimes she needs compassion. Sometimes she needs sympathy. And sometimes she wants pity. Well, okay, those are all <laughs> fine. But if I don't know the difference, how can I How can I give those to her or her to me? You know, it's right. like we're, in a way, we're, we're mute emotionally because we don't have the distinctions so for let's, me let's take a quick value. break um i i love where we're going with this i want to come back and i want to unpack this a little bit more um man this hour is going fast but we'll be back in two minutes <laughs> voice america is on linkedin connect with us today the White House doctor makes house calls. Listen every week for House Calls with Dr. Connie Mariano. Dr. Connie has served as the White House physician under three U.S. presidents. Now she joins the Voice America Empowerment Channel to help you enrich yourself physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Our guests will include professionals from a variety of fields who will bring you tips that you can apply to your own life. Listen for House Calls with Dr. Connie every Thursday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Welcome back to the show. If you have a question for Jason or his guests, join us on the show at 888-346-9141. That's 888-346-9141. Now back to the show with Jason. And we're back to Get Unstuck Radio. I'm your host, Jason Hopkins. Today, I have my fascinating guest, Dan Newby. Um, Dan is uh, the the responsible party for the School of Emotions. Today, we're unpacking all things emotions. And before the break, we were discussing imposter syndrome and really leading into a conversation I find very fascinating around empathy and compassion, you know, a, a counterbalance. What I would love to talk about a little bit more is this range of emotions, a healthy range of emotions 
that if somebody has done this work to discover emotional literacy and gone through it, how how, do, how does one show up with a healthy range of emotions in? Like what is what is the output of this work um, in someone's life that would, would, would be the fruit of doing the work? Mm-hmm. Well, the first would be that you can articulate precisely what emotion you're feeling. And again, we throw a lot of emotions together, calling them the same things we call anxiety, apprehension, fear, frustration. We call them all, you know, apprehension, or we call them all anxiety. Well, really, they're not all anxiety. Is that, you know, they're all different. They're all unique, and they all have a unique story, impulse, purpose. So the first thing is, you know, your your emotional vocabulary expands enormously. And when it does, you can then um, articulate more clearly what your experience is. But along with just naming the emotion is naming, you know, what are your what's your belief that's creating that emotion? Um, so it allows you to have very different conversations as well with yourself for one, but with other people for two. Um, and I think just that, you know, one of the things I've discovered is that every human being that I've worked with from, you know, from children up through, you know, much older than me, every everybody has emotional wisdom as I think about it. I mean, they know that they have emotions and they know emotions have to do with their energy and their body and how they feel. But what they're lacking is the ability to articulate that emotion. Right. So what we're really helping them with is this literacy part you know we're not teaching emotions we're we're helping people learn to notice and name and articulate their emotion for the sake of being able to be a choice with them as we were saying earlier and to use them to navigate you know how do you plan for a meeting or a conversation that's coming up that you know by default you feel anxiety about is that the best emotion is that going to serve you or could you create a better interaction with that person from a different emotion from compassion or curiosity or you know, you've got 200 or more to choose from. So <laughs> I think what it gives us, it just gives us a tremendous fluidity, uh, fluency with emotions. You hear emotions differently. You know, when you when you watch movies or when you listen to people, instead of listening quite so much to the words, you begin to listen to, oh, what's the emotion driving this conversation? What's the emotion that's underneath of this? What's their real care? What are they, what are they really feeling? focused on that's coming out in this way and that allows you to make different offers to people you know to help them solve their problems to understand them better so i think in general it just produces an amazing platform for interactions for relationships and when you when you read studies that say things like people like you and me if we haven't done this work our emotional vocabulary is about 20 words because what we do is we use those same Aim words over and over and over to name our emotions. But if you think about this, if there's more than 200 emotions, according to the way I catalog them, what are you not using? I mean, think about the range. It's kind of like there's saying, a lot of them. I'm guessing. <laughs> you know, it's like it's like saying, well, you, yeah, we want you to paint the mural, but you only get you know the primary colors. Well, okay, but what about mixing those colors? You know, what about yeah? There's so much more richness to it than that, and so. Well, I think part of it is the richness, part of it's the excitement of, you know, going into a territory that most of us don't know very well and discovering, wow, look at how much power there is in this territory. Not to manipulate, although you could and many people have, but more from my perspective to create the life that I want to create, to create 
peace in my life to notice when I'm bored and that I can generate some excitement or bring a little adventurousness or, you know, that I can regulate my life based on my emotions, including, you know, the color of the walls in my house and the food I eat and the relationships I have is they're part of everything. So if you aren't fluent with emotions, you're missing out or you're doing a certain number of things blindly. Well, it definitely does sound like an active process. Um, what I'm also hearing in the process is it, it it's an opportunity to listen more. You know, if if you're more in touch with your emotions as you're engaging with people in your your world and circle of influence, it, it it seems like there's a more seamless way of being able to engage with them from an active listening perspective. Also, is that is that mm-hmm. accurate? Yeah, absolutely, and with with myself as well, you know, for me, you know, just this morning I was talking to somebody and I said, I felt a little guilty about not doing more work on something. And later I thought, it's really guilt. And I realized it wasn't, I was disappointed in myself that I hadn't done more. It wasn't guilt. And I thought, oh, well, that fits. That's right. I feel disappointed in myself. Well, it's okay. You know, it's not the end of the world, but what it helps me understand is what I'm experiencing. I expected myself to do more. I didn't. So I feel a little bit of self-disappointment. But again, what it allows us to do is to not get stuck, right? Is to, Instead of being caught in the emotion, oh, I feel so guilty. No, wait, wait. It's not even guilt. It's disappointment. Oh, it's right. disappointment because I had these expectations. So now what do I do? Well, I, maybe I could look at my, how do I set my expectations of how much I'll get done? Right. So I can resolve an issue for myself that previously I might have thought, oh, you know, I need to see a counselor for. And, you know, it's a tiny little thing, but it's true in many, many ways. What I find is that, you know, a huge percentage of the things we think may be challenges we need professional help for, actually, they're probably things we could resolve on our own if we had the emotional literacy to do it and the emotional fluency and agility. So I'm not saying, you know, let's give up the professionals. I'm just saying, you know what, we could do so much more for ourselves and we could live, you know, so such such a a more productive and contented life if we had these emotions as tools, which we all have. Well, and the good news is, is there there is a soft place for people to land because you've got the School of Emotions um, <laughs> that, that has many courses and books that you've written about this. Tell us a little bit more about if somebody's listening and they're interested in this concept of emotional literacy, what would be an appropriate next step for somebody to explore or to look at? Yeah, well, um, one of the things that I've done is created a number of things. So the books came first and then some emotion flashcards and then an iPhone app and courses. And, you know, I think all of that is available. And also I'm always happy to speak with people one-on-one is, you know, what's going on in your life? What would you like to learn? Right. Because some people learn better in groups and group conversations. Some people learn better by reading. Some people are, you know, learn better through, you know, an iPhone app. Well, you, it doesn't, whatever, uh, appeals to you as a methodology of learning, I would say there's something available. And um, I would not, not put it as a task. I would put it as a, an adventure. You know, it depends. You get to choose the emotion you do this in. I would say adventurousness would be a great one. You know, what are you going to discover if you just were to go out there and, you know, turn over some rocks and see what's there? 
And some of it may be a little bit uncomfortable because it's new. It may feel a little awkward. But I would say, you know, the suggestion I give to people is get in the conversation and stay in the conversation. So it could begin here with our conversation. But then, you know, pick up a book or call me or let's have a, you know, let's let's interact. And, you know, but go look for it, knowing that it's available to you, you know, where would you be comfortable enough to be in? Well, and I love that your your meet people where they are approach, which really and 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 I use this language all the time in the work that I do myself of, you know, how people are going to relate to the information that you're giving them. It's different for everybody. For some people, it is one on one. For others, yeah, it's groups. Absolutely. For some, it's self study, yeah. reading a book, connecting with an app. And yeah. I think that that flexibility in this day and age really. It, it kind of takes away the excuses that we make for doing the work. I'm not saying that everybody's going to get connected to it immediately, but I love this approach of recognizing that, you know, we all may have a different nuance in our own life and, and approach it from a different lens. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I hope that, you know, our conversation today has planted some seeds and, you know, when they me. sprout, who knows, who knows, and it might be years from now and, and that's fine. But I would say, you know, if there's even a little bit of curiosity about this or a little bit of, you know, if your brain's nagging you just a little bit, wow, maybe I should look into that. Take a look, because I will tell you that it has created uh, a completely different life for me. And I'm incredibly grateful for that. Um, but also I see it happen, you know, time after time with the people that I work with. Again, I don't think it's just because of me. I think it's mainly the work and the learning right. that they see the value of, and then they begin to put the work for themselves in their own lives. Well, I'm so grateful for you being a steward of this work on a topic that I feel needs a lot more attention than it gets. <laughs> so if anybody that's listening here today, Dan, tell tell them how they can get connected with you and your work. Easy to find me in LinkedIn. LinkedIn, Dan Newby, type in Dan Newby, LinkedIn, that's a really simple way. Okay. School of Emotions is schoolofemotions.world rather than .com.world, and I'm Dan at schoolofemotions.world. So you can write me an e email directly, you can go to School of Emotions website, there's a contact form there, but please be in touch with me. There's not that many Dan Newbies in the world, so shouldn't be too hard to find me. Well, well isn't that lucky for you, Dan? <laughs> I it love it. It is lucky. Um, yep. So um, if you've not yet subscribed to Get Unstuck Radio show pages, you can find us at Get Unstuck Radio on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, and YouTube. Next week, we have another inspiring guest, Brian Evans. Brian is a board-certified executive leadership and business coach and corporate consultant. For more than three decades, Brian has guided individuals and organizations, assisting them to achieve greater measurable outcomes, improve their lives and the lives of others, and inspire humanity to do and live better. Dan, before we wrap things up today, can you tell me one thing you're grateful for? I'm grateful for stumbling into this work when I needed it most. And I'm grateful to be alive at this time when it seems like this is of growing interest and people are seeing the need and the value for it. So I'm grateful for life, um, but I'm also grateful for my work. I love that. And thank you for shining your bright light and doing this work that needs much attention. Um, again, the, the champions 
like you that are doing this work are so valuable and important. Um, Until next time, remember every journey begins with a next step and you too can be your own champion. Thanks for listening to today's show. We hope we've helped you identify how you can overcome the mental block that's been keeping you stuck. Until we talk again, we wish you a great week.